You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit JCastNetwork.org. Good afternoon, everybody. It's good to see you again. I'm glad that uh, that, that you were able to come. Uh, there was a request to do a uh, um, a brief recap of uh, of the the latter part of last week's session, um, and that's important because uh, it, it is connected and leads to what we're going to talk about today. So last week we talked mainly about um, the Greek period of uh, ancient Jewish history. Um, Roughly from uh, um, from you have it on your timeline here. Roughly from um, 332 BCE, which is in Alexander the Great uh, conquers um, uh, Palestine and, uh, and and the the old Persian Empire, um, until um, uh, about uh, 63 BCE, um, which is um, the end of the Hasmonean dynasty. Um, much of that period, um, or about halfway through that period, uh, involves what we um, usually think of as the story of Hanukkah. Um, you know, so Judah, Maccabee, and, and all of that rebellion against uh, the the uh, um, the Assyrian Greeks, um, uh, Antiochus IV, and uh, uh, the, the the defiling of the temple and and the uh, rededication of the temple to uh, to Jewish worship. Uh, and uh, that rebellion uh, happens in, uh, in in 164, 163, 164. Um, what is relevant to that story for our period today is that um, uh, sort of uh, uh, looming in the background of the early part of the history last week is the uh, is is the growth of the Roman Republic, um, and uh, and the Roman Republic becomes. A, uh, 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 over in the course of time, um, a competitor for um, hegemony in the ancient world with um, the old portions of Alexander the Great's uh, empire, um, which was eventually divided into uh, into two parts. The um, uh, uh, under uh, different leaders of uh, of Alexander's forces, uh, Ptolemy and Seleucus. Um, uh, uh, Ptolemy uh, controls Egypt, Seleucus controls uh, Syria, um, and they battle it out over, t- uh, over time for, uh, for, for control of, uh, of, of Judea, Palestine, which is basically at the intersection of those two uh, pieces of, of the empire. But uh, um, uh, uh, Seleucus eventually really uh, having dominance in, in that area, which is the, um, which is the dynasty uh, that uh, the Maccabees rebel against, uh, but in the background um, and and eventually competing for dominance in in that region with those two powers is the is the Roman Republic, um, and when the uh, um, when the Maccabees lead their revolt against uh, lead the Jewish revolt against uh, Antiochus the Fourth, um, they uh, they enlist the support of uh, of the Roman government. Um, which uh, um, which uh, is an interesting thing to think about because we usually think of the story of Hanukkah as the story of uh, intense Jewish nationalism, Jewish uh, religious and ethnic nationalism um, against uh, um, against the encroachment of Greek 
culture or outside culture into uh, um, into Jewish life. And that is true in a way, uh, but it's also not the full picture because in order to uh, um, to win uh, independence, uh, the Maccabees had to get the support of Rome. They couldn't really do it on their own. Um, and in the course of time, as we saw last week, the Maccabees, the Hasmonean dynasty, as they came to be known, um, really kind of ruled like a like a, a Greek dynasty. Really, kind of ruled like a, a like like non-Jewish uh, rulers in the in the sense of the expansion of the empire, in the sense of the um, eventual um, uh, Hellenization of culture um, uh, uh, among the leaders and in the uh, general population, um, uh, in the sense of um, in the sense of um, um, uh, political patronage and, uh, uh, and and that kind of culture among the leadership. Uh, uh, so so because of those two factors, it's it's a very the, the story of Hanukkah is. Um, a lot more complex than we usually um, give it credit for, because it is, in a way, the story of um, of, of you know ascendant Jewish nationalism, and in a way, it's also a, an acknowledgement that you couldn't have Jewish nationalism without some kind of capitulation, some kind of um, uh, uh, assimilation into a non-Jewish uh, culture. And one of the prime examples of that is. Uh, is the fact that uh, that the Maccabees, and this is a very famous example, that the Maccabees made a decision to fight the war for independence on Shabbat, um, which was uh, a violation of uh, classical Jewish law, um, which put them at odds, by the way. Remember we talked last week about the um, development of different political parties, religious political parties uh, among the Jewish people um, following the Maccabean revolt, um, and one of the big dividing lines between the Maccabees on the one side and uh, a group called the Pharisees on the other side, which is an important group, we'll talk more about them today, and doubly important because most people consider the Pharisees to be the forebears of the rabbis, which are ultimately the kind of Jews we are today, or rabbinic Jews. Um, so the, we really trace our roots back much more to Pharisaic uh, to the Pharisaic movement uh, than anything else, and the, and one of the big dividing lines for uh, the Pharisees with the uh, with the Maccabees um, was that uh, the Pharisees did not agree with their decision to uh, fight the war against the Greek powers on uh, on on the Sabbath. Um, but the Maccabees said, you know, this is a um, uh, this is what we have to do in order to win to win the battle. Um, so you could say that it was a um, you know a uh, uh, um, um, an attempt you know an attempt uh, uh, just for expediency's sake, but what it really re- reflected was um, an acceptance of the terms of, uh, of of Greek warfare and Greek culture um, in order to enable Jewish nationalism to succeed. Um, and over time, uh, it becomes much more evident, much more obvious um, uh, how the Hasmonean dynasty um, uh, assimilates and, uh, and, and takes on um, um, aspects of, uh, of the outside, uh, outside culture, um, not the least of which is uh, most of their rulers um, have very Greek names. The last two rulers who, uh, who are battling it out for... Uh, um, for power in the Hasmonean dynasty are um, are guys named Aristobulus and Hyrcanus, yeah. um, and uh, and so that's uh, that that uh, 
um, uh, um, is really the end of the story from last week. There's a uh, um, essentially a civil war among the Hasmonean uh, leadership between uh, two people who claim the throne, Aristobulus and Hyrcanus. Uh, both of them appeal to uh, Pompey and Rome uh, for, uh, uh, for uh, essentially a mediation of the dispute, um, which uh, 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 Pompey accepts as, a, as a, essentially an invitation for, uh, for Roman control over uh, Judea, which is good for, which is good for Rome. Um, because it solidifies uh, uh, Roman dominance um, uh, over uh, a larger uh, uh, area. Um, and it really just kind of uh, um, uh, crystallizes a, uh, something that had already been a reality um, uh, since the beginning of the, the Maccabean Revolt, which is uh, Roman um, influence, at least, and at most control over what was happening in, uh, in, in Judea. So that happens... Um, in, uh, in in 63, when Pompey intervenes in the in the Hasmonean civil war and uh, um, uh, takes control over Judea, enables uh, Hasmonean rulers to continue to rule um, with uh, with with uh, with nominal um, uh, independence for another decade or two uh, before uh, the Roman government under the under triumvirate rule, um, uh, you know. Uh, uh, um, Excuse me. Uh, the Roman government, under triumvirate rule, um, uh, decides to reorganize the province of Judea and put it under more direct Roman control. And they stall. They install their own monarch over Judea. Okay, so that happens in uh, 37 BCE. Um, not a uh, um, not a particularly um, radical step that the that the Romans take, really a, an evolutionary step that the Romans take in uh, in in uh, in their control of, uh, of of that what what's now the Roman province of Judea. Any questions up to there so far? Uh, I mean, I don't know if the revolt started on Shabbat, but they decided to fight their battles on Shabbat. They decided not to break for Shabbat. You who's hearing is, can you imagine me? Oh, listen, I, I, have, I have no um, ill will to the Maccabees for fighting on Shabbat. I'm not, uh, 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 the Pharisees, uh, which are basically the ancestors of the rabbis, didn't like the fact that the Maccabees uh, fought on Shabbat, um, which is in part why when the, uh, later on, when the uh, Pharisees Later, the rabbis um, uh, codify their uh, traditions in first the Mishnah and then the Talmud. Um, when they talk about Hanukkah, uh, they don't talk at all about the rebellion. They only talk about the uh, cleansing of the temple. Um, uh, so you can see that in Tractate Shabbat of the of the Talmud uh, and uh, many. I mean, there are different theories about why that why um, why first of all they don't really talk about Hanukkah much at all, and when they do talk about Hanukkah. Um, it's only a couple of sentences and doesn't have anything to do with the rebellion. And many theories uh, suggest that it's because they were deeply uncomfortable um, with a number of aspects of the rebellion, one of which was fighting on Shabbat. Another was um, the, the fact that the, the, um, um, uh, the, the Hasmonean uh, uh, family um, were a family of priests but uh, took the kingship for themselves, which uh, was... Uh, 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 which uh, they didn't have the authority to do, according to um, uh, 
many interpretations of, uh, of, of the Bible, um, and because of uh, what Hasmonean rule looked like after the rebellion, um, which um, was not always a, uh, a pretty benevolent uh, uh, Jewish monarchy, you know, along the lines of, say, King David or King Solomon. Um, so the, the, the rabbis were, I, I, this, this was, you know, over 2,000 years ago, I, I can forgive the Maccabees for fighting on Shabbat, and um, uh, I think we've, we've gotten enough distance that, uh, that I think I could be over it. One very quick question. If they, since they did fight on Shabbat, would that have taken their enemies by surprise, knowing that the tribe of Judah did not worship Shabbat? And uh, possibly. I don't know enough about the, uh, the actual uh, military history of the... But you're allowed to do things on Shabbat if it's saving a life. Right, but the and question is whether a rebellion against a foreign power is saving a life. Well, if they felt their lives were at stake, the answer is yes. Well, yes, right, but that's but that's a, that's an if, and uh, the subjectivity of it is the is the problem. And we right, there. so uh, so they the, the rebellion wasn't about um, uh, the. Uh, um, um, a threat from Antiochus to exterminate Jews. He wasn't trying to kill the Jews. He was just trying to make the Jewish province more Greek. Um, you know, so so it was really an offensive, not offensive in the sense of like uh, I didn't like it. It was in uh, uh, it was a war of offense, um, which uh, according to the uh, according to the, the rabbinic understanding of uh, of the laws of war, um, uh, there's no such thing as a war of offense. Um, uh, uh, except for in very cer certain circumstances, but even then, um, the uh, laws of Shabbat apply. Um, and uh, um, it, except, of course, you're already in the throes of a justified war, and, uh, uh, and and then you might be able to fight because you'll be saving lives uh, if you don't. Uh, but it's it's uh, it, the, the picture of the Maccabean revolt is more complex than that. Um, Okay, so... Um, Just a quick question. Who were the numbers for the Maccabeans? They have a, it wasn't very large, it seemed to be. It, it wasn't very large. It wasn't very large. Um, a few thousand. Um, okay. So in 37 BCE, the, uh, um, uh, the, the Roman government, uh, mainly uh, under the uh, guidance of, uh, of Octavian, who was later known as Augustus, um, uh, decided to reorganize uh, its, uh, its, its provinces and reorganized uh, the governorship of the province of Judea and installed its own uh, king over the province. Um, uh, the king that, uh, that Augustus installed is a guy named Herod. Um, Herod is um, a, an interesting character. Um, first... Um, uh, going back to the the story of the Maccabees for a second, early on in uh, the uh, um, uh, under Maccabean rule, there was a there were efforts to expand the territory of uh, of Judea, um, and uh, um, the Maccabees conquered uh, a, a few areas adjacent to uh, the land of Israel. One of which was an area known as uh, Idumea, um, which is roughly speaking, modern-day Jordan, the, the, the eastern portion of modern-day Jordan. Uh, the people of Idumea were not Jews, uh, but the, uh, the uh, Maccabean armies uh, forcibly converted the population of Idumea to Judaism. Um, 
which was, as you can imagine, and I can see from some of the eyebrows raised in the room, a controversial decision. Uh, again, another controversial decision, and one of the ways in which the uh, the Hasmonean uh, uh, leaders acted in some ways like Greek rulers, right? When, uh, when Antiochus conquered new territory, he wanted to make everybody more Greek, right? So when the Maccabees conquered new territory, they want to make everybody more Jewish. Uh, so they forcibly convert the population of uh, Edumia, uh, and uh, uh, among the people that they uh, uh, convert are, um, are, who, are who end up being the ancestors, the grandparents, if I'm not mistaken, of, of Herod. Um, so in Herod's eyes, and in the eyes of many Jews, and certainly in the eyes of the Romans who didn't really know one way or care one way or the other, um, Herod was Jewish. In the eyes of many Jews, Herod was not Jewish. Um, so whether Herod was Jewish depends on your definition of, uh, of Jewish, depends on your understanding of whether or not someone can be converted under duress. Um, it depends on whether or not you like what Herod did and you didn't like what Herod did. Um, but in any event, the, the, the Romans gave him the title King of the Jews. He was a forced conversion, Herod. Herod himself was not. Herod himself was born into a family of forced converts. Who mentioned in, in Israel the, the twelve guys? Yeah. So that must be so the it, de- it it de- it depends it depends on your perspective on yeah. these things. Certainly, the Roman government thought he was Jewish, or 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 didn't care enough to uh, to really question his Jewishness and gave him the title King of the Jews. Herod saw himself as Jewish. I think that that's oh, pretty clear in the history. Was that he, he had a number of uh, <laughs> exceptional houses? That's true. Um, so. Uh, uh, so, so Herod uh, um, uh, considered himself Jewish, evidenced in part by the fact that uh, that, that Herod actually really wanted to uh, to make Judea a a flourishing um, Jewish province. Um, he was he was loyal to to Rome, um, uh, but he also wanted to uh, make a name for himself both among the Romans um, and among the Jews. Um, and so uh, Herod was a, a very effective. Um, uh, brilliant and innovative, um, if not a little bit ruthless, ruler. Um, you could see a lot of Herod's projects still today in, uh, in, in Jerusalem. The, the, the Western Wall, for example, um, at least the uh, um, uh, earlier parts of it, are, um, are, are of Herod's construction because one of the things that Herod built um, or rebuilt, I should say, uh, was the temple in Jerusalem. He, uh, he completely renovated and rebuilt uh, the, the second temple. So when you look today in books that describe what the second temple looked like and show you pictures, chances are they are showing you models of what Herod's temple looked like, which was magnificent and gorgeous and styled in the model of, uh, of Roman uh, temples in, in many ways. Um, but but uh, exceptional and gorgeous, and the Jews um, uh, responded for the most part very, very well to that project. That was something not only for the Jews, um, used for the Jews, uh, not used uh, for uh, Roman worship, we'll get to that in a second, um, uh, but also was a, uh, a symbol of, uh, of, of Herod's um, uh, uh, abilities as a ruler uh, in the eyes of the Romans, too. There are other things that, that Herod, uh, uh, palaces for himself, um, gymnasia, amphitheaters, uh, infrastructure, roads, highways, uh, um, aqueduct, sewage system, 
the uh, ports. Um, Herod was a very effective ruler in that regard, um, and he was also um, a very, he was a strong man. But you're saying that the Jews accepted him. I'm saying that um, a good portion of the Jewish population accepted him. The Jews who did not accept him, that gets into the next piece that I was saying, that, that Herod was a strong man. Uh, and so he was able, if you remember from the Maccabean period, there was already uh, a number of deeply divided Jewish factions um, in, in how they related to the Maccabees. We talked about some of them last time, the Pharisees, we've already talked about the Sadducees, um, uh, um, uh, a few other uh, um, uh, minor parties and, and, and minor populations. There were, there were priestly classes and aristocracies and then the plebeians, uh, the, the lower classes, um, there was a, a deeply divided uh, Jewish uh, um, uh, Jewish population, um, many of whom, because of the uh, because of the prosperity and uh, um, and and real good and, and peace and order that he brought to uh, uh, the province of Judea, responded very well to Herod, uh, and those who didn't um, were treated pretty ruthlessly by Herod, so that uh, so that. Uh, you, even if you wanted to uh, be in opposition to Herod's rule, it was very difficult uh, to be in opposition to Herod's rule. Um, so this is a period of, um, of relative uh, calm and order in, in Judea. Whether or not you liked Herod, um, it, was, uh, it was a time of, uh, of, 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 of prosperity and, uh, and law in, in Judea. Going back to the temple, which is an interesting case. So um, usually, when uh, when Rome conquered uh, territories, um, uh, they had a similar uh, orientation to conquered lands that uh, um, that the, the uh, that many of the Greek rulers had, which was um, uh, imposing on the population uh, uh, their modes of worship, Roman religion, and uh, Greek religion when it was Greek rulers. Um, uh, and so, at the very least, for indigenous populations, uh, they would make indigenous populations um, offer sacrifices to the Roman gods or to Caesar or to both uh, in uh, their temples. Uh, that's not what the Romans did in Judea. Um, all Rome, uh, Rome, very smartly and probably under the influence of Herod, who knew very well what uh, what Jewish sensibilities were. Uh, had a uh, had a deal with the Jewish population that they would not enforce Roman worship in in Judea, not force the Jews to uh, sacrifice to to say Jupiter, Hercules, or this or Caesar in the temple, but uh, to have a Jewish sacrifice daily um, on behalf of the Roman emperor. Right. So that was the compromise: was offer a Jewish sacrifice with your customs to your god, but on behalf of the Roman emperor. Um, the Romans, on the whole, um, had a fair amount of disdain for Jewish belief and practice. They thought it was uh, uh, backward. They thought it was, uh, um, uh, in, in, in the words of a lot of the Roman historians, uh, barbaric. Although uh, barbaric, you have to remember, doesn't mean uh, like brutal in the way we think of the word barbaric today. Uh, barbaric for the Romans was anybody who didn't speak Greek. Um, because it all sounded like bar, 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 bar. Or sacrificed animals. What's that? No, the Romans sacrificed animals too. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, um, uh, so, so, uh, um, you know, you, you, uh, um, 
in the in some of the histories, it uh, it talks about uh, how the Roman attitude toward the Jews was: if the Jews insisted on their foolishness, leave them to it, and that Rome was not at all menaced or compromised by the law of Moses. They essentially they had a uh, fairly live and let live attitude uh, to the Jewish population, and I think that that in large part is attributable to uh, to Herod. Um, who could represent the interests of, uh, of of the Jewish population to Rome and knew what it would take to keep law and order in Judea, knew that if he had instituted um, uh, uh, Roman sacrifice in the in the temple, um, the same thing would happen to him that happened to Antiochus IV, and he did not want that to happen. Um, so, uh, and Augustus in turn, the emperor, that eventually became the emperor, um, uh, starting in 27 BCE, uh, uh, mandated protection of Jewish religious rights and practices and even excused the Jews from offering sacrificial tribute to the emperor and instead allowed the Jews to make an additional sacrifice to their god on uh, the emperor's behalf. The Romans protected the political rights of the Jews. They had the, they were, the Jews were allowed to have their own social organizations. They were ha- allowed to uh, have their own judiciary. So you, I'm sure, have heard the term Sanhedrin uh, used in the past, uh, and uh, the Sanhedrin, uh, which was a, uh, an assembly of, uh, of, of Jewish uh, jurists and uh, experts in, in Torah who adjudicated on um, religious and, and civil disputes uh, among the, the Jews of Judea, was allowed to function and continue to function for a long time under, under uh, Roman rule. Um, so much so that you know it's uh, it's uh, um, reflected as a uh, as a, um, a, a as a stable institution in the time of uh, of Jesus. So around the year let's say zero, uh, or rather the ra- around the year uh, thirty uh, CE, um, and, uh, and and even after that as well. Um, they had a reasonably autonomous uh, administration. They they could uh, um, engage in their own. Uh, local building programs and, uh, um, and, and governance issues and, and things like that. So the Romans had a pretty, all things considered, benevolent policy uh, toward the Jews, um, which is something that if you are to read um, uh, rabbinic literature, Jewish literature uh, in this period and later, um, you don't see that reflected a lot, um, in part because um, most uh, uh, rabbinic literature and Jewish literature is uh, um, uh, from uh, from this period is written after the destruction of the temple, which happens in seventy, um, and is very much colored by that experience. But at this point in the history, um, Rome has a pretty benevolent policy toward uh, toward the Jews uh, until Herod dies. Herod dies um, around the year four C.E. And when Herod dies, it, it's 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 like you know, we, we discovered this um, in a number of instances in modern history, but uh, um, to, not to oversimplify it, but when, uh, when the U.S. toppled Saddam Hussein um, in, uh, in, in Iraq, um, we realized that there were all these um, uh, very divided factions among the Iraqi population that really hated each other. And so um, brutal and terrible and horrific as Saddam Hussein was, one thing he did do was uh, keep the peace among the uh, uh, um, a brutal peace, but keep the peace among the uh, the Iraqi population. Um, so that was a similar situation with Herod. Uh, brutal though he was, 
um, he kept the factions that, that existed among the Jews from, uh, from, from killing each other, and uh, killing each other and fighting against Rome, all of it together. Uh, and so when he died, um, it left a, something of a power vacuum uh, in, uh, in the region. And, as, and almost as soon as he dies, um, rebellions break out throughout Judea, especially in the Galilee, um, which, uh, which are eventually put down uh, by, uh, by, by Roman troops, and the, those rebellions cause Rome to um, institute uh, more centralized Roman governance over Judea. Right? No more semi-autonomous kings like Herod. Now you have Roman governors who, are, who report directly back to the Roman Senate and the, uh, and the emperor of Rome. Yes. What is the, the number of years that Herod was really um, in control? Herod ruled for about 30 years. Amazing. Actually, closer to 40 years, I should say. 37 BCE to 4 CE. I didn't know. Well, that may have to work. It's usually um, <laughs> yeah, and it's in small print. I apologize, okay. but uh, um, so yeah, so Herod was in control for for uh, for a good period of time. But there were always these tensions underneath the surface in uh, in uh, um, um, among the Jews. It's not just the Jews. Borat, Tito, same thing. One person holds it. Yes, yes. Right. And so that bubbles over, and the and the Romans institute uh, uh, governors over over Judea as a result. Um, and uh, the, the Roman governors, on the whole, uh, the other the, the term that, that the Romans used were, were procurators, um, uh, were generally regarded to be uh, brutal, incompetent, or both. Right? So these were, unlike Herod, who uh, saw himself as a Jew and had a lot of um, intimate knowledge of what it would take to keep the peace among the Jewish population and, uh, and, and enabled Jews to feel like their traditions and way of life was respected, the Roman governors were all Roman citizens, um, usually not from uh, the Near East, um, that were shipped over from Rome to, um, to, to rule and keep the peace over, uh, over, over Judea. And essentially saw their uh, saw their job as a, as more or less a military occupation of uh, of Judea, and the population responded to uh, uh, to the, that kind of military occupation the way many indigenous populations respond to military populations. And so you see um, this playing out, and you saw it play out with with the Maccabees too, um, uh, and you see it playing out here uh, that uh, that that what ends up happening is that. Um, that in response to Jewish unrest, um, the Romans tighten their grip on uh, on the Jewish population, and the more they tighten their grip on the Jewish population, the more unrest brews until until eventually they can't tighten their grip anymore, and unrest is at a boiling point and it boils over. Um, so that's the overall picture. We'll get into a little bit more detail on that in a second, but. Uh, um, it's important to think about um, uh, some. And by the way, you, you know some of these figures uh, uh, who are the Roman uh, procurators. Um, the most famous of them is a man named Pontius Pilate, um, who is uh, portrayed in the Gospels in a rather favorable light, I guess. Um, uh, but uh, in in virtually all the rest of the histories, is known as a um, really um, uh, brutal, misanthropic kind of guy, um, and is probably for various political and religious reasons, uh, misportrayed in the Gospels. It's very unlikely that he would have uh, turned over uh, 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 
decisions about who to crucify and who not to crucify to the to the Jewish population. It's very interesting to uh, trace the title Herod because uh, Herod and I never heard of him. I'm assuming you're correct. The reason and if it's a trial, uh, the one question that Pontius Pilate asked him is, "Are you king of the Jews?" And the, that that was enough to crucify. Yeah. So really trace the continuum from the room allowing someone to be Jesus who was talking not got him got him. Yeah, so we'll come to that in, in a few moments, but that's that's something really important to keep in mind. Right? Um, so that I think leads into a, a, a really important topic, which is uh, uh, we talked about how, how the Romans treated the Jews. What was the Jewish response to Roman rule? And remember, there were um, already political and religious divisions among the Jews already in the Maccabean period, um, and those divisions existed, continue to exist, um, and respond to and 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 uh, shape themselves in response to Roman rule. And also, new factions emerged in response to Roman rule. So we. Remember from last time that the that two of the major parties that emerged in the Maccabean period were the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Um, the the Pharisees um, uh, were not particularly uh, positive about the about Maccabean rule. They were a little bit more um, um, what's the word? Um, they had a little bit more ambivalence toward uh, toward Roman rule. So you can see if you look at the back of your timeline, I have a couple of texts here. Um, remember, I said that the Pharisees are likely the predecessors of, uh, of, of a group who we know as the rabbis. Um, eventually, the leaders of the Pharisees began to call themselves rabbi, which, which means teacher. Um, most historians agree uh, uh, about that uh, uh, lineage. And so the, uh, the, 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 the rabbis left behind a, a lot of uh, literature, which we now as Jews uh, consider part of our, our sacred canon. Um, and uh, so in, in one tractate of the Mishnah, you have um, two statements from uh, um, from uh, rabbinic figures at slightly different periods in, in uh, under Roman rule. Um, one says, "Be cautious with the government; they only become close to anyone for their own needs. They seem like lovers when it benefits them, but they do not stand by a person in his time of need." Right. So, um, so on the one hand, we should be very cautious with uh, with, with the authorities. They aren't really looking out for our interests. They aren't really looking out for Jewish needs. Um, they'll help us when it serves their needs, but won't help us when it doesn't. Um, and then Rabbi Hanania, the deputy high priest, taught, pray for the welfare of the empire, for if people did not fear it, they would swallow each other alive. Right. So in some, uh, for, uh, some of the uh, rabbis or some of the Pharisees, had a, uh, a pretty positive view of the Roman authorities, um, in part because there was so much um, unrest and turmoil and violence brewing um, uh, uh, among the Jewish population uh, that they knew that without uh, uh, strong uh, leadership and uh, and law and order, um, there uh, the Jewish population would devolve into a really destructive civil war, which eventually does end up happening. Um, so the the rabbis were were mainly. Um, uh, uh, unconcerned with the with the Roman authorities, so long as the Roman authorities didn't uh, impose anything that was uh, directly uh, in violation of, uh, of of Jewish laws and traditions, right? So as long as the Roman authorities didn't force uh, the Jews to worship uh, um, Roman gods in the temple, or so long as the Roman authorities didn't outlaw the Sabbath, or so long as the Roman authorities didn't outlaw Torah study and things like that, the the rabbis uh, generally had a uh, 
had a, uh, a, um, a fairly, the Pharisees rather, had a, had a fairly um, tolerant attitude toward the, the, the Roman government, in part also because um, the Pharisees had a, uh, a fairly ambivalent view toward the, uh, the central institutions of, of Jewish life. To them, um, Judaism was, uh, was, was, uh, um, was primarily centered on um, the study of Torah and the observance of commandments, and was not um, um, uh, uh, it was not a crucial part of Judaism um, to sacrifice in the temple um, or to have political sovereignty. Um, they saw those as uh, as unessential parts of Judaism, and in part they saw it that way because um, of uh, uh, of an, uh, a particular manner of interpreting uh, the Torah, known as uh, as the Torah Shabbat Peh, the oral tradition. The Sadducees, on the other hand, um, were much more tied into those uh, institutions um, of, of Jewish life. They had a much more literal view of the Torah, um, and so therefore uh, saw uh, worship in the temple and Jewish sovereignty as far more central because those are very central aspects of the Torah. Right, A whole book of the Torah is devoted to worship in the temple, and uh, and much of the rest deals with uh, with control over the land of Israel and, uh, um, and uh, um, um, political sovereignty. The thing about the Sadducees, though, was um, that the Roman government basically let the, um, the Sadducees have control over those institutions. The Sadducees were generally more wealthy. They were, uh, they had a lot, there were a lot of priests were Sadducees. Uh, a lot of members of the Sanhedrin were Sadducees. So, the, the uh, Sadducees, even though they had a more literal interpretation of the Torah that, that prioritized those institutions, so long as the Romans gave over control of those institutions to the Jews, the Sadducees were um, pretty content and happy with Roman rule, which led many members of the Pharisees and some of the other groups that we'll talk about in just a second to see the Sadducees as, uh, as Roman sympathizers. Um, and it is in no small part why uh, and we'll get to this in just a second, why when, when Jesus rails against the Jewish leadership of his time, he calls to task both the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but potentially for different reasons. It's a little bit opaque about what Jesus does, but, uh, but for the Pharisees, he, he calls them to task for, for their interpretation of the Torah, their um, uh, obsession with ritual purity and things like that. But the Sadducees, um, it seems like Jesus calls to account for their um, uh, collaboration with, with the Roman authorities. Um, a third approach, um, response uh, among the Jews to Roman rule, was, uh, was uh, rejectionism, asceticism, uh, uh, apocalypticism, messianism, uh, groups that, that said that, uh, that, that Roman control of Judea um, is a, um, is a, uh, a, a, a precursor to, uh, to ultimate redemption. What they saw was the oppression of the righteous, and how can you have a good God, a just God, and the oppression of the righteous? So this must mean that we're coming to a time where there's going to be a, uh, a divine judgment in the institution of, uh, of, of direct divine rule over, over, over Judea or over the, over the world. Um, uh, uh, some of these people uh, uh, wanted to prepare for uh, the, the coming kingdom uh, by completely removing themselves from society, or maybe they just removed themselves from society because they saw uh, Jewish division 
um, as toxic and Roman rule as oppressive, and the only other option was to go and live, live in the desert somewhere. Um, so the uh, Jewish historian Josephus uh, identifies that third approach with a group called the Essenes, which uh, many people believe, um, although there's a, a little bit of debate about this, many believe are um, responsible for the community um, near the Dead Sea, uh, uh, the Qumran community near the Dead Sea, which is where uh, um, we discovered uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, and uh, uh, so many people believe that, that who Josephus calls the Essenes were uh, uh, in part the community that chose to kind of flee to the desert and live in their own um, ascetic sort of life. And then Josephus identifies a what he calls the fourth philosophy. The fourth philosophy is um, Jewish religious nationalism. Um, and there were really two groups uh, that, uh, and it's not quite clear um, whether Josephus means to identify both of these groups with the fourth philosophy or, uh, or just one of them, um, but, uh, but two Jewish nationalist, religious nationalist groups, um, one who uh, are known as uh, the, the Zealots, the Kanaim, uh, and the other that are known as, um, uh, in, in the Hebrew, the Listim, uh, but in the, in, in the uh, Latin, the Sikarai. Um, so these are extreme religious nationalist movements, and, they, and this, the Encyclopedia Judaica um, encapsulates the ideology, I think, really well. It says um, what the, what, what, how, the, how this group gets born is a religious ideological conflict between the belief of the Jews in the doctrine that they are the chosen people, and therefore unique, and the bitter fact that they were forcibly subjected to the rule of an idolatrous empire which accorded divine honors to its emperors. This empire was the complete antithesis of the spiritual conception and way of life of the Jews, and the tension found its resolution in the strengthening of a messianic eschatological faith at the center of which stood the hope of the revival of the glory of Israel and the downfall of the kingdom of arrogance. Whether that phrase, the kingdom of arrogance, um, you might remember it uh, from the High Holiday Liturgy. Um, uh, um, we, we, we recite that uh, may the kingdom of arrogance be removed from the earth. Um, so we're still, in a way, praying for uh, the, the uh, abolition of, of uh, this kingdom, even though it's no longer Rome. Um, so the Zealots and the Sikari wanted to forcibly expel the Romans and their collaborators from the country. Um, and after Herod's death, these were the groups that were responsible for leading armed revolts throughout Judea, especially in the Galilee. Um, the Sikari were probably a, uh, a subsection of the Zealots who disagreed primarily on tactics. The Zealots wanted to um, formulate an army and lead a, a formal revolt against, uh, against Rome. The Sikari um, uh, wanted more direct action. Um, and so they were what we would call today terrorists. Um, they would um, go to uh, public places and hide daggers in their cloaks. That's where the term Sikarai comes from. It was the kind of uh, dagger that they would use. Um, they would hide a dagger in their cloak and, uh, um, and uh, stab uh, to death um, a Roman uh, uh, official or a Jewish collaborator um, and then uh, bleed back into the, uh, the crowd that was... Uh, um, thrown into a panic because of this uh, murder or assassination that occurred. Um, that, was their, uh, that was their tactic. Um, so in one of these attacks, they, uh, they assassinate the, uh, the high priest Jonathan. 
Um, and uh, later, during the Roman siege of Jerusalem, the Sikarai, you can see some of their, their tactics, the Sikarai burned the city's food reserves to force the Jews into battle with the Romans. So if you look at your text here, text number three, when Vespasian came and surrounded Jerusalem, the Sikarai took the initiative and set fire to all the granaries. Uh, and they did so in order to, uh, uh, the, the, the city therefore had no uh, means to sustain itself and had to either surrender or fight, and they were hoping to compel the, the uh, people of Jerusalem to, uh, to fight against the Romans. So this all leads to the question of, uh, of Jesus. Um, and Stanley, I'm glad you brought it up because it's hard to think about um, the, the history of Judaism in this period without thinking about, uh, 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 about Jesus of Nazareth. And there's a lot of uh, debate about um, not only who Jesus was or if he actually was, uh, but also about uh, what, which of these movements, if any, he fit into or represented. So a, a new book, I think a great book, although it's under, yeah, you're reading Reza Aslan's book now? Yeah, so, uh, yeah. What's the title? It's called Zealot. And so what Reza Aslan, uh, um, who's a professor at one of the UC schools, um, what his argument is that Jesus falls into the Zealot camp. And when Jesus, uh, when, when Pilate asks Jesus, are you king of the Jews, um, uh, uh, Jesus, uh, um, he asks that because... Um, because what Jesus represented was a Jewish nationalist revolt against Rome. And he makes that argument primarily, he says at the beginning of the book, that the only piece of information you need to know about Jesus was that he was crucified. Because crucifixion was the punishment reserved for, uh, for the crime of sedition against the empire. And the way Jews would have been guilty of the crime of sedition against the empire was to claim that they were king of the Jews. And there were numerous examples of, uh, of, of, of uh, um, uh, claimants to the, to the throne of David or claimants to, Jew, to Jewish kingship before Jesus. And Jesus um, uh, came in, in a line of succession of these uh, zealot revolutionaries. And, you know, another example that he gives of the important pieces of Jesus' life is the overturning of the, uh, of the, uh, of the tables and the money changers in, uh, in, in the temple. And another example is uh, um, when, when someone holds up the, the, uh, the coin of Rome with the emperor's uh, uh, image on it and says to Caesar, um, uh, uh, excuse me, says to Jesus, um, um, uh, 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 what should we do with this, uh, what should we do with this coin? Should we pay the tax to Rome? And Jesus uh, says, whose image is on the coin? And, um, and uh, they said, it is Caesar's. And Jesus says, well, then, render unto Caesar's what is Caesar's, and render unto God what is God's. And what uh, many scholars usually interpret that passage to mean is that Jesus was just sort of like not interested in things of this world, and so it doesn't really matter. Pay the tax to Rome because it doesn't matter. But what Aslan's uh, argument is, is that when he says render unto God what is God's, he means the province of Judea, and he means Jewish sovereignty. Right? Um, and so that's what, uh, according to that argument, what Jesus represented. There's, the, the book has come under a considerable amount of controversy uh, because it's not exactly clear from the Gospels um, uh, which of these movements Jesus represented. There have been arguments that Jesus represented uh, um, uh, more of the Essene kind of movement. Uh, and they use as uh, evidence for that uh, that he was a, seemed to be a disciple of John the Baptist who seems, for various reasons, to fit into that category. Some argue that Jesus was a Pharisee, right? That he was uh, that he was a uh, a student of the rabbis who just disagreed with the rabbis on a number of different interpretations and had a very charismatic 
uh, uh, presence and so therefore a large following. So no one really knows. Um, I think that Aslan's uh, argument is pretty convincing, uh, personally, but that's okay. Um, in the course of time, the, um, the, and it's a great book anyway, it's a great read, he's a great writer. Um, so in the course of time, the, these uh, um, uh, sects became very hostile to each other, especially the zealots and the Sicarii against everybody else, because if you weren't, to them, if you weren't fighting against Rome, you were a collaborator with Rome, right? In my, in, I, I, I'm a little bit hesitant to use this comparison, but in some ways, think of them like, like Jewish Al-Qaeda, right? That whether they are fighting against America or, or the United Kingdom um, or other Muslims, right? Um, it all is the same thing, right? Um, uh, it's all, if you, I will attack other Muslims in other Muslim countries because if you're not fighting against the Americans with us, then you are a collaborator, right? And so the Zealots and the Sikari were very much along those lines, but there were all these deep divisions among the Jewish population, which is why I think um, when the rabbis reflect on the destruction of the temple um, in the Talmud, they say, uh, this is text number four, why was the first temple destroyed? Because of three evils in it, idolatry, sexual immorality, and bloodshed. But why was the second temple destroyed? Seeing that during the time it stood, people occupied themselves with Torah, with observance of, of uh, mitzvot, and with the practice of charity. In other words, they weren't as bad in the time of the second temple as they were in the time of the first temple, so why was the second temple destroyed? And the rabbis say, because during the time it stood, hatred without rightful cause prevailed. This is to teach you that hatred without rightful cause is deemed as grave as all three sins of idolatry, sexual immorality, and bloodshed together. And I think what the, my theory is, what the rabbis are talking about there, is that, uh, and we'll see how this happens in, um, in like the last 30 seconds that we have, is that... Um, <laughs> is that uh, um, the, um, the, the Jewish population is brought into war with Rome because of an internal conflict, um, and, um, and which ultimately leads to the destruction of the temple, and eventually the destruction of much of the Jewish population of uh, Judea. Okay, so just in, uh, in, in really, really, really quickly... Um, in uh, uh, in 66 um, uh, uh, CE, the Roman procurator of Judea, uh, Florus, sent his troops into the treasury of the temple and seized 17 talents, uh, which uh, the Judean masses viewed as an open intention on the part of Rome to provoke the Jewish people into war. Um, the zealots, of course, were uh, the instigators of that belief, right? Because they believed that God alone was their Lord and Master, and they were ready to suffer any kind of unnatural death along with their entire family, in order to shake off foreign rule and religion. Uh, and the Romans were in part responsible because um, it was a, the latest in, 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 the, in steps of, uh, of, of mismanagement um, and disregard for uh, Jewish ancestral law and custom. Um, there are a number of examples of this. There's the examples of Roman um, legions um, exposing themselves uh, uh, from the walls of the Temple Mount to the Jewish masses uh, gathered below. Um, uh, this is a really funny story of the Jewish masses gathered on Sukkot, um, pelting the Roman soldiers with their etrogim um, because of uh, what they saw as provocation. Um, in any event, uh, in 66 CE, uh, the, the, uh, the, the uh, portion of the Jewish population led by the, by the zealots um, uh, uh, enter into open revolt against Rome. 
um, and the good portion of the Jewish population uh, joins in because they have come around to see, um, in part because of the prodding and uh, um, um, uh, of the zealots, so they've come around to see the the point of the of the zealots that uh, Roman rule is bad for the Jews. Um, in 67, uh, after a few months of, uh, of of mismanagement of the of the revolt. Um, uh, the Roman general Vespasian uh, pours in troops to put down uh, the revolt, um, but then is drawn away um, to deal with other um, uh, pressing military needs in, in the empire. Um, <clears throat> and uh, um, uh, eventually, um, uh, 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 Vespasian is made uh, emperor of the Rome and sends in uh, Titus, his son, uh, to lay siege uh, to Jerusalem during the spring of 70 CE, and a few months later uh, to uh, to take the entire city. The temple is burnt to the ground, um, which we commemorate on the ninth of Av, um, and a month later the upper city of Jerusalem is also destroyed. Um, so the, the, the history says that uh, tens and perhaps hundreds of thousands of Jews uh, uh, die or are killed in the events surrounding the siege of Jerusalem and the temple's destruction. Remember that the siege lasted for several months. We commemorate the siege of Jerusalem on um, um, on the tenth of Tevet, um, which is coming up soon on the Jewish calendar. Um, and uh, we know that the uh, walls are not breached until the seventeenth uh, of Tammuz, which is in the uh, uh, middle summer. Right. So there's a, a good few months between uh, of, of the siege, which means that they they're trying to starve the population into submission or at least into weakness, before they eventually are able to go in and massacre the, the city, which they do in the course of uh, three weeks, from the 17th of Tammuz to the, to the 9th of Av. Uh, the accounts of the battles in Jerusalem are very bloody. It does go to show you how um, profoundly passionate the Jewish population was to defend the city and the temple, because it took the full force of the Roman army three weeks to fight through like six city blocks. Right? I mean, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. Um, uh, so, uh, um, 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 okay. Uh, in seven, uh, three years later, um, uh, uh, some of the remaining instigators of the rebellion, um, the, um, the Sikarai bandits, um, had uh, fled to the um, hills around the, uh, the Dead Sea. Um, and the last remaining... Um, uh, collection of them uh, hold up in Herod's old fortress on uh, Masada, um, and uh, uh, many of us are very familiar with the story. But uh, um, um, uh, um, as uh, as the Roman armies were um, uh, marching up the uh, the, the mountain, um, and uh, um, and as their supplies uh, had uh, decimated, they decided to uh, to. Uh, uh, to commit uh, a mass suicide uh, instead of uh, fall to the hands of, of the Romans. Uh, that officially puts uh, down the, the what's called the Great Jewish Revolt of 66-67, uh, of, uh, ends in 73 with, uh, with the decimated Jerusalem. But uh, other than the, the, um, the rebels and, uh, and the city of Jerusalem itself, the, the rest of the Jewish population, um, not all that much had changed um, under uh, under Roman rule, um, the main surviving faction, because remember the the zealots and the Sicarii had had been really systematically massacred by the Romans for instigating the rebellion, and the ones who were left didn't have a lot of 
uh, sway and power among the Jewish population because they had just led the Jews into a destructive and bloody civil war. Uh, the Sadducees were collaborators with Rome, who had just uh, who had just decimated the Jewish population, um, and the Essenes lived in the desert and didn't care about anything, and nobody cared about them. So the the um, the uh, Jewish leadership uh, or, or the really surviving political party were the Pharisees, uh, the rabbis, um, who um, who were well positioned to be. Um, the surviving political party and the leaders of the of the Jewish people, because uh, or of uh, of the remaining Jewish population, because they had a portable approach to Judaism. They didn't need a temple to be Jewish. They uh, focused on Torah study and on uh, and on prayer and performance of the commandments as a, as an approach to Judaism. And so, the famously in the in the Talmud, uh, uh, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, who was the leader of the Pharisee, Pharisaic sect at, uh, at the time. Um, uh, made a pivotal decision um, to uh, to flee the city of Jerusalem, abandon hope for defending the temple, and establish a, uh, a, a, a an academy for rabbis at uh, at Yavne, um, uh, northwest of, uh, of of Jerusalem. Um, um, and so that is, if you look at um, uh, um, text number five, um, uh, that's a, a, an important piece, right? So. Um, once when Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was leaving Jerusalem, Rabbi Yehoshua was walking behind him, and he saw the Holy Temple destroyed. Now whether that means he saw the ruins of the Holy Temple, or he actually saw it being destroyed, I don't know, but Rabbi Yehoshua said, Woe unto us that the place where Israel atoned for its sins is destroyed. Rabbi Yochanan said to him, My son, let it not trouble you. There is another form of atonement that is like it. And what is it? Acts of love and kindness. As it is written, For I desire love and kindness, and not sacrifice. Right, so that shows you one the somewhat ambivalence that the rabbis must have already had to uh, to worship in the temple that it was not strictly necessary to being Jewish, but also um, how they refashioned Judaism in in the wake of destruction of the temple from being a cultic religion centered on sacrifice to being a religion centered on study and on uh, the performance of good deeds and on and, and on prayer. Um, just a couple of other points. Um, I know we're, we're uh, behind time, uh, but uh, um, uh, eventually um, uh, anti-Roman fervor heats up again. The seeds of the ideological seeds of rebellion um, didn't completely die out uh, in '73. Um, uh, there were many who still um, deeply resented Rome, maybe doubly resented Rome because of the destruction of the temple. Um, who believed that uh, that that eventually um, Judaism was leading toward um, uh, a uh, a restoration of a Jewish king and Jewish sovereignty and and the and the kingdom of God, and so um, um, uh, in uh, um, uh, which was um, exacerbated in in uh, around the year 130 CE when uh, the emperor Hadrian. Um, uh, decided to uh, rebuild Jerusalem as a Roman metropolis called Ilia Capitolina um, and to build a new temple upon the ruins of the second temple which was dedicated to the Roman god Jupiter um, and uh, Jews openly opposed that plan as you can imagine uh, and so when they did Hadrian um, wanted to uh, uh, make sure that there was no Jewish rebellion that there was no Jewish opposition to his plan um, so he banned uh, circumcision and Torah study, um, and um, uh, and uh, um, uh, if you pay attention on Yom Kippur to uh, a little bit later in the 
uh, in the morning, early afternoon, we get to a part of the service called the Martyrology, um, Ella Ezkara, in which we recount um, the, uh, the martyrdom of uh, uh, ten rabbis who were executed by Rome. Right? Uh, um, those ten rabbis were, um, were executed by Rome during this period who studied Torah and taught Torah and practiced Judaism in, in, uh, in, in open defiance of, uh, of Hadrian's decree and initiated uh, uh, or supported uh, a, uh, a second revolt against Rome. This one led by a uh, charismatic um, uh, Jewish figure named uh, Shimon Bar Kosiba, who was re- renamed uh, Shimon Bar Kochba, uh, the son of the star, which is uh, which w- uh, uh, alluded to a uh, messianic prophecy in the Bible. Um, and uh, for a brief period of time, that rebellion was uh, successful until um, uh, Hadrian uh, calls in a troop surge a few years later to uh, regain control over over Judea, um, completely annihilates uh, the rebellion, and. Um, this marks the moment in which um, uh, um, uh, 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 Judaism was um, um, openly, Judaism and the Jews were, were really openly um, uh, persecuted and, uh, and, and, uh, and uh, abolished from, uh, from the land of Israel. Um, so Hadrian prohibited uh, the Torah, the Hebrew calendar, executed Judaic scholars, um, Torah scrolls were burned. Um, uh, he installed the tattoos of Jupiter and himself at the, at, at the site of the former temple. Um, and he, uh, I think, um, very, um, uh, um, for, um, um, uh, important for, for later history, um, renamed the province from Judea to, uh, um, to Syria, Palestina, um, after, not the Jewish presence in the land, but uh, the uh, the Philistine presence in the land, which, if you remember from session number one, um, we talked about as uh, um, uh, as uh, being uh, the, the historical um, enemies of the Jewish people, and uh, not uh, and also not particularly indigenous to the land of Israel. But what what Hadrian uh, wanted to do was uh, was wipe out Jewish memory, wipe out Jewish connection uh, to uh, uh, to uh, to Judea, uh, forbade Jews from entering Jerusalem, um, and uh, uh, made it very difficult uh, to be Jewish uh, in Judea. And so Jews, for the most part, uh, there, there still remain pockets of, uh, of, of the Jewish population in uh, Palestine for another, uh, um, well, for continuously until today, um, but larger pockets until, um, uh, the, uh, until the, the, the third or fourth century. Um, but in response to the, the real threats to Jewish survival and Jewish continuity that, that existed after the Bar Kokhba revolt, that's where you get, much like you had um, with the uh, composition and redaction of the Bible um, in response to the first exile uh, in 586 BC, you get uh, the redaction of uh, major rabbinic works in response to the failure of the Bar Kokhba revolt and the uh, decimation of the Jewish population by Hadrian. Um, in the second century, so that's when, for example, the Mishnah was composed, um, and uh, not long after that, about a century or so after that, uh, the uh, Jerusalem Talmud was composed as a, a running commentary of the Mishnah. Um, okay, a couple of quick takeaways that I have from uh, from uh, our stroll through Jewish history. The first is that um, Jewish survival, to me, doesn't seem like a story of entrenchment 
reactionary policies or fundamentalism. Rather, it's a story of resilience and reinvention in the face of devastation. Right? So where Judaism is least successful is where Jews dig in their heels and fight um, against what they see to be um, uh, oppressive outside powers. Where Judaism is most successful is, uh, is uh, incorporating um, into their way of life the very best um, insights of the outside world and being able to respond and refashion and reformulate Judaism in, uh, in, in, uh, in response to um, uh, 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 challenges and difficulties that they, that they had had. Um, the second is that Torah is a source for Jewish and human flourishing only if it's approached that way and only when approached with the spirit of openness, fluidity, and interpretation. Um, the least successful Jewish streams um, were those that uh, viewed the Torah literally um, and those who viewed the Torah, um, uh, um, I would say, um, violently um, as, a, uh, as, a, as an inspirational source for uh, religious and nationalistic violence. Um, those in this period, in the ancient period, were I think the least successful expressions of Judaism in relationships to the Torah. The most successful was the Pharisaic Rabbinic, um, and their approach was um, a, to have a, uh, a, 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 for lack of a better word, a liberal interpretive tradition of the Torah that uh, enabled the Torah to be malleable to new circumstances, um, and that uh, and that pushed them to see the Torah um, not as a uh, um, not as a strictly political or national document, but as a uh, as a as a guide for. Um, a personal behavior and uh, a personal relationship to God and the structuring of community, but not necessarily sovereignty. Um, the third is um, we have met the enemy and he is us. Um, so it looks, it seems to me from uh, a survey of ancient Jewish history that time and again, we prove to be our own greatest enemies. And the fourth is a related point that the Jewish people are weakest when we are the most divided. Uh, and sometimes our division even leads directly to our suffering and subject. And so you see that very clearly in the, in the Roman period, um, that Jewish division um, led very directly to, uh, to, to civil war, revolt, and, uh, and destruction. Now, you can make an argument that those things were good, because without them we wouldn't have the Mishnah, we wouldn't have the Talmud, we wouldn't have... Um, uh, but uh, but if, you, if you look at them on their terms at that time, um, um, I think that the... Uh, um, the insight to me is, is, is clear that, um, that we accomplish um, uh, much, much more um, with, a, uh, um, with, a, with an eye toward Jewish unity than we do um, uh, in sowing the seeds of, of Jewish division. That doesn't mean that we can't have um, uh, reasonable disagreements with other Jews. It doesn't mean that we can't have uh, um, ideological divides with, with other Jews. But it does mean um, that, uh, um, that, that, uh, that, that Jews... Um, um, are most successful when we see our destinies as linked together and we act as if our destinies are linked together. Um, which, just to put in a plug, um, is, uh, and David Wolpe wrote about this the other day, there's been all this you know, hand-wringing and, and uh, um, um, obituary writing for the conservative movement, um, and David Wolpe, Rabbi David Wolpe from Los Angeles pointed out um, the other day that, um, that, that the conservative movement has historically, and still today, is, um, is, is the a uh, movement that is, in a lot of ways, most dedicated to Klal Yisrael, to the, to the Jewish people. In part, that's ideological, because we are pluralistic in, in, in ideology, 
um, and because we can um, uh, straddle the spectrum from right and, and left and so that we can be more inclusive, but it's also because um, just the, the evidence on the ground is um, federations and, uh, um, uh, and APAC and um, uh, you know, Zionist organizations, uh, right, a whole range of Jewish communal JCCs, whole range of Jewish communal structures are, um, are uh, disproportionately um, uh, represented, as, rather, let me rephrase that, conservative Jews are disproportionately represented in Jewish communal structures in that way. So I think that that would be a real value loss if tomorrow the conservative movement were to disappear. I think he's right about that. I think the evidence shows that. So that's just a, a contemporary plug for the conservative movement in an ancient course.